going to talk about the triumph of mercy. Go to Luke, please. Luke chapter 23. Now this um, follows on from Luke chapter 22, as it turns out. And uh, both chapters detail uh, the arrest, uh, the trial, if you could call it that, uh, the abuse, and the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ. That's what's in Luke 22 and Luke 23. And so leading up to this verse that we're going to read, Jesus has been betrayed by one of his closest. He has been uh, beaten up on multiple occasions. Uh, he's been falsely accused, spat on, had his beard ripped out, uh, punched, slapped, all sorts of things, not just by um, the people of the um, the Sanhedrin and their officers, but also by the Romans, uh, quite, a, quite a large contingent of them. Uh, he's been scourged, he's had a robe put over the top of that and ripped off again, and the crown of thorns and so on and so on. You all know the story, um, because it's the reason why we're here and spirit-filled today. So <clears throat> that's what's happened, oh, and, and, then they, and then they put him on the cross. So that's what's happened up until this verse, verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know, know, what, know not what they do. Now, if you can put yourself in Jesus' position, that's an amazing response. Uh, it's an amazing response anyway, and what amplifies uh, the, the incredible nature of that response all the more is the circumstances Jesus finds himself in, the treatment he's been subjected to um, over this time. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's uh, the triumph of mercy. That's that's what mercy, having a merciful attitude, can lead to. The most amazing response, the response that just doesn't come naturally. He's asking God to forgive them for doing what they've done to him. Okay, so that's that's what we're talking about today, and that that verse Jesus' response personifies, encapsulates that absolutely perfectly. How can we be like that? Hopefully we never find ourselves in that position. But how can we have that same merciful attitude toward one another and toward the people of this world, despite how they treat us? Uh, let's go to Titus, Titus chapter 3. The scripture that I've taken the title from is actually in James 2, and it simply says there, um, if you don't have mercy, you won't be granted mercy that's a that's a biblical uh, pattern. The unmerciful throughout the Bible, well, their day comes, and there's no mercy involved in their day when it comes. Um, but that verse in James, after saying that and giving that warning, all right, there's no mercy for those who are unmerciful. That verse then goes on to say, uh, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to explore that a little bit uh, today. Mercy, of course, is not getting what we deserve. <laughs> That's what happens. I was uh, speeding home from Adelaide one time, uh, a long time ago. Uh, <clears throat> I wasn't following Pastor David because apparently you don't speed anywhere when you're following him. But, um, but um, I was speeding home from Adelaide, and I wasn't actually going intentionally over the limit for once. Um, <clears throat> I was just listening to the cricket. I think it was Boxing Day. 
and I was going through a little town on, on the highway. I think it's called Kiki or Kai Kai or something like that. Kai Kai, is that right? Yeah, that's how us Aussies say it, isn't it? Yeah, Kai Kai in PNG means food, so it sounds weird to say it like that. But anyway, that little, if you blink, you miss it. In fact, I think it's the town where it says 80 and you hit the brake to slow down and by the time you've hit 80, you can go 110 again. So that's how small the place is. Anyway, I was speeding just before. I was doing more than I should have been. And in South Australia, you have police cars that can get you going the opposite direction. I found that out. So he uh, put his lights on and followed me through the um, thriving metropolis of Kai Kai and then pulled me up over the other side. And he asked me, is there any reason why you were going as fast as you were? <laughs> as if you could give them a reason, you know, that would mean you wouldn't get a fine or something like that. Um, <clears throat> all I said was, oh, I was just listening to the cricket. <laughs> that, that goes down as one of, you know, those, those things where, you know, you think about it later and you think of all the other hundreds of things you could have said. Uh, and that wasn't in the top 100, but that's what I said. Anyway, I don't know what he did, checked the computer and so on, came back, he gave me the license and he said, 100's 100, David, slow down. And I got let off. So now when I'm in South Australia, I speed everywhere. (laughs) I don't really. But that's mercy. That's a very small example. But what I should have got was a fine and some demerit points and so on. But actually, um, I didn't get any of that because the policeman on that day decided to show mercy. It's just a small example, but... It shows um, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Not getting what I deserve. Titus 3, verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And that's the state of the world pretty much as well. Um, Some of you came to the Lord from from a life that was lived uh, in the world, some of us, like like myself, grew up in the fellowship. But I think at some stage of our life, regardless of which way we've come to the Lord, we've all been familiar with um, when our own nature starts to go towards some of these things. We've found that inside sometimes, haven't we? Um, whether we remember it from the old life or we've slipped a bit. Some of us who grew up in the fellowship um, have have slipped occasionally and gone right out from the church. And, and you find out that this is actually our nature and it's certainly the nature of the world out there. And the Bible says, to cut a very long story short, that that leads to hell. That's the story, or that's one story arc of the Bible. Of course, there's a better one than that, but that's the, that's the bad one. All right? That's the, that's the narrative that we don't want to be a part of. But that's where we were. In verse 4, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Now, kindness and love are words that the Old Testament often uses, often together, loving kindness as a word that means mercy. So that's what we're talking about here. But after that, the kindness and love, the mercy, the pity of God our Saviour toward man, toward mankind, toward you and toward me, appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's how it happens, of course. And if you're listening today and you haven't received the Holy Spirit, by the way, you'll know because you'll speak in tongues when you receive the Holy Spirit. If you haven't received the Holy Spirit, you need to because the Bible says that that's how you get saved, by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
There's the other wonderful story arc of the Bible. All those things in verse 3 lead to hell, but everything there from verse 4 to 7 leads to heaven. Now that rhymes. I didn't plan that one. That's good. I'm going to use that later. Everything from verse 4 to 7 leads to heaven. Titus chapter 3. So isn't that wonderful? And what's in the middle of all of that? God's mercy. God's mercy. He looked down on us and said, you know what they deserve, but they're not going to get it because I'm going to send Jesus Christ, my only son, to die for them, to take all their sin to the grave and to defeat it by rising him up again and to carve out a brand new pathway for mankind. Before Jesus did that, through the power of God and the Holy Spirit, of course, which raised him from the dead, that same spirit which now dwells in us, before Jesus did that, the path of man stopped at death. There was, there was, there was no way of getting through that. You couldn't do any more after that until judgment day and we would have been judged according to verse 3. That's what was going to happen. Jesus is like one of those intrepid explorers who carved through the jungles of Africa or, or some of the bushland around here in the 1800s and, and forged a new path. He cleared a track for us so that death was not the end anymore. In fact, for those of us in these, as the hymn says, closing days of time, we may never even experience death of this body at all. But whether we do or we don't, it's not the end. Because when Jesus Christ returns, we'll be raised to meet him in the air. We'll be changed, immortal, to be as he is. It's what the Bible says in First John chapter 3. When we see him, we shall be as he is. That's the promise to you and me. That's the hope of eternal life. And it's all because God looked down on us and said, I'm going to make a new path for you, even though you don't deserve it. And he sent Jesus Christ to carve the way through the bush for us. And he did. And now there's a pathway through death into eternal life. And it's because of God's mercy. I didn't plan to say any of that, and so I'm not going to get through hardly any of the rest of this, but there we go. Let's go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned to death. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So here are the unmerciful, the scribes and the Pharisees, Romans chapter 1 tells us that this world is full of people who are unmerciful. Implacable is another word that it puts in that that list in Romans 1. They can't be placated. Their rage doesn't subside. Their desire for justice and judgment will not be pushed away. Implacable, unmerciful. People should get what they deserve and I should get to determine what they deserve. All right? That's the attitude out in the world. And here's a good example of them, the scribes and Pharisees, right? Well, Moses said she should be stoned to death, caught in the very act. I don't know how they did that, but caught in the very act, we'll take them on face value and we'll we'll, we'll say that, you know, this woman had done what, what they said that she did. And so, according to the law, well, they had a bit of a point, didn't they? Justice should be served. Judgment should come down upon this woman. 
Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. That's a one-two combo from the Lord, right? That that knocks him out every time. He was the best at it. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And what happened? They which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. The genius of Jesus on display right there with that with that response. And we'll take a few points from it, and we'll finish the story first. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus shows three things about mercy. Mercy is allowed to supersede judgment. In fact, if it didn't, it wouldn't be mercy. Mercy recognizes what, what judgment, what the judgment should be, and then comes in over the top of it. That's the essence of mercy triumphs over judgment. It's better because God's New Testament way is better. The punishment was served by Jesus Christ. That allows God to have mercy and grace upon us. Mercy is allowed to supersede judgment. It wouldn't be mercy if it didn't. The second thing is that empathy drives mercy, an understanding of the person's position. Jesus Christ was tempted in all points like as we are. He understood the woman's position. He probably knew more about her than she realized because he was good like that. And that empathy uh, for for her position, her pretty hopeless position, drove his response. Empathy drives mercy. Not necessarily sympathy, but empathy and understanding of the person's position, their mindset, how they got to where they got. And the third thing, mercy is active and instructive. It's active and instructive and it pushes to in a positive way. Right? What do I mean by that? Look at what he said. Go and sin no more. Go. Alright, it's time to move on now. That's what mercy allows. It allows further action, hopefully positive. When mercy is granted, we're no longer held back. And sin no more. There's some instruction for you on your way. Alright, so that you don't have to be in the position where you need that mercy again. So there's three things. Mercy is allowed to supersede judgment. It wouldn't be mercy if it didn't. Empathy drives mercy. Mercy is active and instructive in a positive manner. With that in mind, <clears throat> let's go to Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. I did want to also look at the um, Good Samaritan, but we won't have time to go there. I think everyone's quite familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, <clears throat> he's not actually called the Good Samaritan in the Bible, but I think we know what we're talking about there. He came across someone who was beaten up, bruised, bloodied, left half dead, the Bible says, by the side of the road. Now, a couple of others went past that person and they did nothing about it, but the Samaritan, who would ordinarily have been despised by this beaten up, Jew, because that's how relations were at the time, he took pity on him. 
Jesus tells this story as a very instructive, it's probably, it's possibly the primary parable of the teachings of Jesus because it tells us so much about how followers of Christ should be. He first is the Samaritan in the story and we of course after him. We were the one bloodied and, and beaten up by the side of the road and he came along and showed mercy on us. And now we're the Samaritans looking for those so that we can show mercy on them. They're out there. They're also sometimes in here because we go through our trials and tribulations in the church as well. So as Samaritans, like the one in that story, we're looking for for those so that we can have the same mercy on them. He picked the guy up and treated his wounds, put him on his donkey, took him to the inn, paid for him to stay, nursed him while he was there, left the next morning, made sure provision was made for his further care and said, I'm going to return later. It's an amazing thing to do for someone you've never met before and someone who would ordinarily despise you. And you can see the parallels there with Jesus Christ. And Jesus asked somebody, who do you think out of the three that passed by this uh, bloke who's on the side of the road was the neighbour unto him? Who was the one that really cared for him? And the guy who he asked that to answered, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus' response was, go and do thou likewise. That's a simple uh, response, isn't it? That's a simple instruction. Go and do the same. What's our reaction to the people of this world when they're um, in trouble? Do we hope they get what's coming to them? It's tempting too, isn't it? Some of them act very uh, silly sometimes, and sometimes it feels good to see someone get their comeuppance. What about our brothers and sisters when they're going through a hard time? Again, what's our reaction to that? Let's read Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And the servant of the Lord, which is all of us, must not strive, but be gentle unto all, uh, unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Sometimes they don't know that they're opposing themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Despite what we think they ought to get, we ought to think that they ought to get mercy. They may deserve something else, but from us at least, let them have mercy. And what does that look like? It looks like the preaching of the gospel. It looks like the telling of the good news, which they may think they know and don't, may never have heard of before may not even be interested in, but that's how we show mercy to the people of this world, by telling them the good news. Jesus Christ can bless your life. Jesus Christ can heal you and set you free from everything, uh, inside and outside, external circumstances, the things that happen in our heart and our head and our body as well. That's what can happen to you. And what's more, you can be put on the road to eternal life. That's mercy, telling them the gospel. We've been like them before. Remember Titus chapter 3, verse 3? And that's them out there, and it was us once as well. And it was God's mercy that brought us here. So now it's time to pass it on, pay it forward, as they say. It's mercy and compassion that should drive our evangelism. And that's one of the real learnings from the parable of the of the Samaritan and from the Scriptures here. And, and the Scripture here in Second Timothy really brings out some of the aspects of that mercy. It's gentle. We're not out... To, to box on, to, to cause trouble with people. Um, patient, 
patient with people because they take a long time sometimes. Uh, being meek uh, when we're instructing them or, or helping them uh, to see the light. And of course, these same verses and that same uh, compassion and mercy we learn from the Samaritan drive our ministry toward each other as well. Um, we might despair sometimes uh, at our at our brethren. <laughs> they we, we they might make the same silly mistake over and over again. Uh, they might not be able to see where they're so obviously going wrong in our estimation anyway. Um, they might continue to offend or trip over the same thing or stumble over the same thing over and over again, right? And, and it can get to a point where you feel like, well, you know what, um, <clears throat> you should just get what you deserve. But the judgment and criticism doesn't really help. What helps is getting in there with the compassion and mercy that Jesus Christ showed that's not a free pass, by the way. It's not a free pass. Sin needs to be dealt with. Uh, sometimes that means it needs to come to light and the consequences of it need to play out and so on. Mercy isn't a total free pass. It actually identifies the problem but gets in there with the intention to help. Why? If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth so that they can be recovered, whoever they are, from whatever trap they've fallen into, from whatever tribulation has um, beset them. And sometimes that will be us too, by the way. And and we wish for mercy to be shown to us and that same mercy and compassion we should show to others. You remember what Jesus said, go and sin no more. That was his instruction to the woman. <clears throat> Having people's best interests at heart is very important. Can we empathize with them? Have we been in the same situation? Stop and take a minute to think, actually, I might have been there before. Maybe I do know how and why this person's going wrong. Get into the Scriptures, have some prayer and get in there and help showing the mercy of the Lord. In Romans 12 it says, He that shows mercy, he should do it with cheerfulness. With cheerfulness. Mercy doesn't disavow or ignore judgment. It can't be mercy without acknowledging that there's justice and judgment to be served, but it supersedes that. That's the triumph. Go to Micah chapter 6, we'll finish there. When we act mercifully, compassionately, empathetically, patient, patiently, cheerfully, with best interests at heart, when we act in that way toward our brothers and sisters and toward the unsaved people in this world, we triumph over our own nature in the same way Jesus Christ did on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What a triumph. Now, many would look at that and say, what a weakling. You know, if, if he's as powerful as you bloke say that he is, well then he should have been able to just come down off the cross. Well, he could have, and we know that could have called 12 legions of angels if he wanted to, tens of thousands of them, plus cavalry, angelic horses as well. Right? He could have, but he didn't. The moment there, a lot of the moments there on the cross, but the moment there when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, is a powerful triumph. He's showing us the way of mercy. When we act in that way toward one another and toward the unsaved, we triumph as well over our own nature and we show the nature 
of the Spirit of Jesus Christ instead, which has been put inside us when we first received the Holy Spirit. Micah chapter 6, verse 6. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? How am I going to please the Lord? What's the Lord looking for? What should my approach be toward the Lord? How is it going to work for me to have a good relationship with God? Do I need to sacrifice the cows in the paddock or whatever other valuable thing I've got going? Will the Lord, in verse 7, be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God already did that for the sin of our soul. Verse 8, what can we give to the Lord? What can we possibly do? What approach is he going to be happy with? Verse 8, he hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, equitably, fairly, with integrity, according to God's word, that's how our life should be ordered, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. So in closing, we want to please the Lord. In fact, we want to be saved. Once we've been baptized with full immersion, received the Holy Spirit, we want to go on in the things of the Lord. We want to be saved. We want to have God's mercy continually extended to us. We want that relationship with God and with our brothers and sisters to continue to flourish and bear really wonderful fruit then the way of mercy is the way we need to go. Look for occasions to be merciful. Love to be merciful. It pleases God, and that's a good thing to do. All the people say. 